welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Excited to uh, be back and be um, actually talking to other pig farmers across the country. We're kind of back in our interview phase again. I appreciate everyone sticking with us as we uh, kind of progress through this strange time. But um, today I have with me on the podcast from Fervor Farm up in Hollis, Maine, Rachel Libby. And I had a really good conversation with Rachel and we'll just jump right into it, and I'll catch you on the backside. It's my understanding that you are up in the beautiful state of Maine. I have really fallen in love with that state since visiting last year. Yes, so it uh, is awesome. Tell us a little bit about uh, about your experience up there, kind of kind of where you're at, what you're doing, and and how you got where you are. Awesome. Uh, thanks. So I basically started um, by borrowing land from my family. I actually started right down the street from where I am, um, living in an RV with my partner and doing some farming on the side on my mother's land. Um, So that was at the first time she started doing pigs, I would just buy one of them from her and then decided like, this sounds really interesting. So... I decided to do it on my own, and then I moved down the street to actually my father's land, which is um, much higher in elevation. We have a switchback driveway up to a really, really awesome view of the horizon. Um, so loading pigs and driving them down that is obnoxious. But <laughs> um, so we're staying here now. My father travels with work, and so now we're trying. He has a really awesome forest up here, so of a lot of oaks. So we're going to try to create a silver pasture and move as many pigs as the land can sustain through the woods. Oh, awesome! Very good. Yeah. Okay, so let's. Um, well, a lot to unpack there. So. Whereabouts are you in Maine, and and how's that kind of layout with topography? You'd already mentioned some hills there, so what what type of land? Yeah, so there's really uh, so we're in Hollis, which is in southern Maine. We're only about 45 minutes drive from Portland, which is my target market, and we um, we're actually kind of like the only hill in the area. We're like living on like this big boulder or something. It's pretty pretty low <laughs> and pretty flat for the most part out here until obviously you get up to the to the whites um but yeah so it's it's actually we just happen to be in this really rocky odd space hmm, wow so does that make for uh you, you mentioned that you're at your father's property where there's a lot of oaks so it's primarily forested is it exposed rock are there is there any clear pasture what are you what are you dealing with there so it's kind of all of the above so there's he was he was really into lawn so there's this really nice lawn where we're going to try to do some rotational grazing with sheep um and then there are some there's a lot of oaks and then there are some um exposed ledge like so basically it's the drive um, the road is down below and then you drive all the way up the hill there and then we're kind of all sitting right up on top of the hill pretty pretty level up on top yeah okay um so there's some you know muddy areas here and there but we've had a really really dry spring so far which has been odd but um so it's actually really you kind of you can based on where you're going to be on the land 
and you can kind of get what you need with what you got. You just might not be able to do it with a lot of animals. Yeah. And and how much land are you talking about that you have? That There's only successful? 20 acres here. Okay. Yeah. But it sounds like once you get on top of that uh, that ridge or that plateau, then it has a decent lay to it. So it's uh, that yeah. T- most of that 20 acres, I assume, is going to be usable. Most of it, yeah. There's uh, there's some spot down below where we have a nice like working shop, so we can, um, you know, we got a car lift and everything down in there, so we can work on any machinery we need to. And then once you get up here, um, it's all basically the farm element. So there's a little log cabin, and then this awesome view with a really nice kind of grassy area right up to the views that we're focusing on doing like events and such up there so i already do duck processing classes and and some stuff like that up there but yeah but the pigs are all held back through the woods well you you, let's back up a little bit you had mentioned something about uh kind of getting experience getting kind of sticking your toe into the whole uh, pig endeavor um, unpack mm. that a little bit. What what got you in? Um, how long you been doing this? What what kind of steered you this direction? Did you did you know straight out of the gate uh, as a, as a young adult that you wanted to be a, a pig farmer, or how did that evolve? No, um, I didn't. I was uh, interested in horticulture and went in that realm for a really long time, and I actually still work at a garden center to this day. Uh, my parents both had history in farming, but they didn't do any when I was young. Um, so there's always been kind of a seed planted by learning about their backgrounds, but I didn't really get any hands-on stuff. And it wasn't until about I moved out, my mom got back into doing some pig raising. So when I noticed from her, it just kind of seemed neat to connect to back to the land and back to the food. I kind of scooted away to Portland as soon as I could legally do so and, and lived there. And then that's such a foodie city now that I think I just learned a lot about food and just wanted to know more about where it came from and so I was like well what better way than to just jump right into it and once I started I couldn't turn back pigs I fell in love with pigs right off the gate and then so I decided to do like chickens on the side and eggs and then realized like that I had to do a little bit more to make a little bit more money and so (laughs) I've got a lot going on yeah (laughs) but the focus for me is is always been pigs I think um reluctantly going to start farrowing probably next spring but um yeah 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 you, you mentioned that in your notes we'll get into that in a second because I, I definitely want to discuss that so are you uh so your your father it's your father's land it sounds like he's on the road traveling a lot but you mentioned your yep. partner do you have do you have any other help in this situation are you going at um not really it's basically just us we're both working full-time um we're blessed enough to have um, work in businesses that are deemed essential under all of this. So I'm at uh, Garden Center, which is under agricultural, and he's a, a head brewer at a brewery down the street. So it's basically just us. Um, we have some neighbors that are lovely that will come help, like, you know, pick things up and put them down when we need them. And we've been doing some work exchange days to get a little bit more help on, like, larger projects. So people just come out do like three to four hours of work we feed them lunch give them like either you know a pork chop or um a dozen eggs or something to take home and a free tour of the land cool yeah that seems to work all right so you mentioned your partner is a head brewer that that would be the kind of yeah. guy i'd like to hang out with Let me get, <laughs> right? yeah. does, does he, he happen a... does he happen to have a very large beard because most brewers that i've met all have very nice facial hair <laughs> he does have a beard but it's a it's a modest beard okay. it's not it's not ginormous <laughs> okay yeah, I, I, could never, um, I could never be a brewer. I can't grow a beard. So. Right. 
he has a background in culinary too. So um, it's a, well, it's I'm spoiled, but also he's been able to teach me a lot about the different cuts um, and communicating that with the butcher and then that with the customers too, which has been very helpful. Yeah, that that is a great asset, and and that you know, we we've talked about a little bit in the past when it comes to marketing and promoting your products. How mm. uh, it's so important to be able to communicate and to educate your customer base so they fully understand. Uh, I always always tell the story of the guy that wanted an all bacon pig from me, and mm-hmm. and it's like, well, okay, we need to sit down and talk about this because you know you you you're so d- uh, disconnected from your food that you don't realize that you know bacon is not. It's not just something that yep. you wave over a pig and say, hey, it's all bacon. Yeah. So so that's got to be – that's a great asset to have. And it sounds like even with your all's um, employment opportunities there that everything's nice and married together. And I, I'm sure probably one spills over into the other, your horticultural experience Const- at the garden center. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yep. All right. Yep. And a lot of my customers are at the garden center because they're all kind of like Portland folk working at that garden center. So, um, And that's my target market because you can get – you know, twice the price for stuff just 45 minutes in because they, you know, they see the value of pasture pork more than people that actually live around the pastures for Absolutely. some reason. Yep. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that that's an interesting dynamic. You see that across. I'm sure you see that with with everything that you do with your ducks, your plants, yep. your eggs. Uh, it yep. seems like in the country, uh, people are giving eggs away because everybody has chickens and they don't exactly. appreciate it as much as when you get into these major urban areas. So. Yeah, I do have actually some um, kind of chef customers that are buying for their own personal consumption that have been educating me actually about some of the cuts and wondering when I hand them the butcher sheet why they don't offer this and don't offer that and can you talk to them about this. So it's been it's been a whirlwind learning from customers and then teaching other customers and then, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> so, so how long have you been raising pigs to, to sell on the market? Um, so I would say three to four years now. Yeah. I think this is our fourth year of officially doing it with, you know, our own money and, and our own work. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you had mentioned earlier that you were reluctantly going to get into farrowing next year. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, why, and, and why do you feel reluctant about that? So I chose and fell in love with the Gloucestershire Old Spot breed, uh, originally buying them from Blue Tin Farm um, in Edgecombe, and I just fell in love with the breed. They're very docile. Their weight was nice for, you know, the compromise to heritage time frame, so it was around 10 months. So I just fell in love with that particular breed, and then I found um, Blue Tin kind of backed off a little bit from raising them, and I found a farm, like, right down the road 20 minute not even a 20 minute drive that was raising purebred Gloucestershire so I was like you do all the raising and I'll just buy the piglets because they had like they have a slew of children that they homeschool and it's like this really awesome little like network of a family farm and they didn't have the time to do any marketing or selling of stuff so they just wanted to do the piglets and then sell me the piglets so we were just going to do that back and forth but they had a boar issue this year Mm. And they don't really know how long it's going to take to to correct that. And then I went up and checked out um, other Gloucestershire old spots. We got, um, was it Narrow Gauge and Orchard Pig Farms. They do Gloucestershire as well. And they didn't have any rate at the right time. So I was like, oh, man, maybe with all, with all these scarce piglets coming around, I'm like, should I be doing this myself? <laughs> so I have a... a 
uncut piglet coming next month who's like a heritage mutt and I'm you know going to put that on the back burner and use him next spring you know whenever he's old enough um if that's still an issue of finding piglets so yeah 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 it's it's interesting interesting time right now uh, obviously in the world but in specifically in our industry as well there's 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 all kinds of oddities happening when it comes to supply and demand of mm-hmm. of everything from processing equipment to uh, uh, to the actual livestock so yeah mm. so uh so you may have to uh so you may have to do your own fairing on on farm it sounds like <laughs> yep yeah that's yep. Always, always a challenge but uh but there obviously are some rewards from that okay so yeah we'll see i'm sorry yeah yeah exactly <laughs> hopefully more rewards than challenges so what yeah. what about uh, GOS really got your attention? What what attracted you to them? Um, I think very first it was probably I I read up on did all the different breeds from you know stories guide to raising pigs right. So I went through all that. I knew off the bat that I wanted to do some sort of heritage, and that seemed to me to be the best fit from description. Thinking back now, do I remember exactly why? <laughs> I don't know, but I've come to love it because it's because they're just they're crazy docile. They um, they're really good lard pigs. I like being able to have that extra benefit of you know soap making or you know rendering fat and selling the fat. Um, and their meat is you know after the first you know just I bet any breed honestly I probably would have fallen in love with the meat the first time when you're doing it yourself there's just such a connection right yeah. but that just happened to be the the one that we fell in love with all right very good so were those um had you mentioned that were, were those what you were raising at were they were they purebred GOS or were they crossed with anything when what you were actually so when we originally started get um kind of putting a foot in my mother was getting random mutts uh and then I brought in some old purebred up Gloucestershire old spots um and we compared the two and the mutts definitely grew a lot faster but I always felt like their meat was a little bit lighter pink and kind of bland flavor than the old spots mm-hmm. so now I have one um purebred that I have pulled for hopefully breeding and then I had to just buy in heritage mutts for the rest of them so they do the mutts that I'm bringing in <laughs> the mixed breeds they do have a little bit of old spot in them, but not a ton. Yeah. So do you, are you seasonal and how you, how you raise your pigs, I assume being up in Maine? Yeah, we did. Um, for the first time last year, we used to always buy in the spring process, have process in the fall. And then we, for the first time last year, bought some piglets in midsummer and then wintered them over and had them processed in May. The trick being like, I can't move pigs when there's snow on the ground due to our driveway. Yeah. So I actually, it was, it was a learning experience, but the pigs that I had processed in May, I probably could have had processed a month earlier, but I was nervous about the road conditions and, um, they were way too big. They were like 310 pounds hanging. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's that's a little shock to a customer that's buying a hole and a half when they get there. Yeah. They're like, Hey, so I, you know, I, I took a, I took a few cents, you know, tw- I think it was 25 cents off a pound hanging for them because of the oops. And, um, and yeah, but at the same time, the butcher charges me a little bit more when they're over 300 pounds. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've run into that. It, it kind of is what it is. You, you learn from that experience. <laughs> 
So yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. So there's yeah, there's a lot of questions uh, I want to ask you about that overwintering. So uh, how many did you overwinter in that in that batch? Just four. Okay. So that was the that was good because it was just a low amount um, and a low amount of water lugging throughout the winter. Right. Which was which was good, but um, yeah. So it wasn't too bad. We just had a nice pallet hut with um, plywood over the sides, and they were toasty all winter. We also had kind of a mild winter. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Did you all get as much snow as as you normally do this year? Mm, no. Yeah. Nope. I was thinking it was. We good. didn't. Yeah. So, um, in that situation, obviously, uh, you get the benefit of frozen ground. When I think of overwintering pigs, I think of you know, uh, two feet of mud and all the issues, the sacrificial area that goes along with right. it. But I assume in Maine, that's a sacrificial area is not that big a deal since it's probably frozen exactly. solid. Yeah. Yep. All right. Okay, so uh, let's talk about your uh, pasture setups a little bit. You, you talked about uh, primarily wooded with oak uh, up on this this plateau. So, so how are your pastures laid out? How you're breaking them up? What's the rotational process that you're doing? And where's the evolution of that going? Cool. So um, right now, I just would basically go out and clear space because we have coyotes in the area. I was nervous about the piglets, so we're doing the T posts and welded wire just like quickly thrown up really just a physical barrier and then we're just doing one strand of wire so we're running that through the woods and then um that pasture we let so the first time we were on this ground was last about a year ago from now so we probably had 11 pigs over the course of the last year in there rooting it up so it's it's nice and rooted now there's a lot of rocks and a lot of underbrush so we're going back behind them and picking all that up and then we're going to take, now we just have that one big sow and then the three piglets, and then we got five more coming next month. So we're just going to move that whole thing kind of over. And we're basically just going to have to, we're starting from scratch with the end goal of doing silvopasture. Mm-hmm. Kind of have a horseshoe-shaped um, forested area anyway. So we're just going to kind of swing them around and bring them back. And hopefully by the time they're ready to go to processing, they'll be kind of back up front where we can load them again. Very good. Very good. What type? What yeah, type? a lot of. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying a lot of uh, moving debris and cleaning debris and then letting it rest. And I think it's going to have to be more disturbance than not for a little while. And then taking some trees down and yeah. figuring that out. You have a silvo pasture going on your property, right? Yeah, yeah. We're we're 100 acres of Appalachian hardwood and a very small amounts. That's actually what I would consider pasture, or or you know, we would call it a small meadow. Um, but yeah, right now the the pigs are are in the woods and and they're doing the same thing. They're churning. In fact, I was uh, the other day I was cutting down some small beech trees that I wanted to open up the canopy uh, to allow some nice. other other oaks to uh, to be able to proliferate more. And and they were just going to town on the as soon as the canopies hit the ground, they were all over them. So they love oh, those awesome. beech leaves. Yeah. So it's, are you do you I'm have sorry. the end goal of doing grazing amongst just like the true silo pasture or? Yeah, the plan is. Uh, you know, our, the way our valley is oriented is uh, is a watershed that runs east-west. So I have a south-facing mountain or hill. It's, it's funny. Everyone always debates me whether I have a mountain or a hill. Flatlanders say I have a mountain. <laughs> mountain people say I have a hill. But uh, so south-facing is an area that is all oaks. And, I mean, it literally is probably you know, 40 acres of oaks. Beautiful, beautiful uh, area. And I don't presently have the pigs anywhere on the south side. Actually, one little mm-hmm. spot, but um, 
but on the north side, the, the, the side that faces north, the south, south ridge, north facing, is where we're doing a lot of, of work with the pigs right now and, and just seeing how the, um, how the pasture will come back once they get through. We have a lot of red clay, so we're seeing uh, um, a lot of good disturbance. And mm. um, you know, my issue, of course, is that disturbance mixed with the fact that where you all are missing rain this spring, I think we've gotten it all. Uh, so <laughs> we've been dealing with a little bit of erosion issues right now because we have a, a pretty good relief in our, in oh, our valley. Yeah. So it becomes becomes this this cat and mouse game of uh, how mm -hmm. much disturbance do we have to let them clear this underbrush out versus too much disturbance that makes a lot of the... A lot of hard packed with it, the rain. Exactly. And the topsoil comes off the mountain and ends up down in the valley. So, <sighs> so yeah, it, it's, it's like you say, it's a dance. So we have to yep. figure out exactly how that's going to work. Um, so, so as you were talking, are you talking about uh, so welded wire with single strand inside? It, are you using that as a perimeter, or are you actually breaking up your paddocks with that? Um, so right now, I just made like one big, big paddock, mm. and then I'm going to basically probably use reuse that same material and scoot it back around. If that yeah. makes any sense? Yeah. So using that same back and then just kind of scooting it backwards is my goal, but you know, <laughs> we'll see the way the land moves around that. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Very good. So, um, when you when you're when you're moving them through, do you have any additional infrastructure? So, when it comes time for loading, are you are you just backing a trailer up to the edge of your pasture and luring them in? Do you how how much infrastructure? Yeah. Do you have? So, unfortunately, I want to make a system like yours, but I had um, yeah, I I dropped some pallets on T posts, um, and then just like put plywood on and, and try to scoot them in. It. And it's just always a different battle, but mm -hmm. that's a big goal of mine this year is like get it so that when they're ready to go, they'll be in this final pasture and that will have, you know, a setup kind of like um, you had the wooden kind of valley, right, to scoot them through? Yeah, I have, yeah, a little corral that's attached to our barn. So it's it's an opportunity yep. to, to separate them into different groups and then push them. Yeah, I think that's originally yeah. how I found you, Troy, was I was oh. trying to look up best loading practices on YouTube, and you came up. <laughs> yeah, I don't I know if like, those were the best practices. Yeah, that was the that was a exercise in futility in some of those videos, but yeah. yeah <laughs> no, I, I, it all comes with learning and learning your land. You're, you're exactly right. The first year that I did this, I because I had, I had followed others, obviously we stand on the shoulders of one another, and I had followed somebody else that said, oh, all we do is just back a livestock trailer up to the, the pasture, take the electric fence down, put the feed bowls in the trailer. They jump right in it, and it's off to the process. I'm like, well, okay, cool. Are oh. they joking? Is this, yeah. like, is this April Fool's? <laughs> right. I'm like, how hard could this be? And so, yeah, after losing my mind three days trying to get them in the trailer, it's like, okay, we got to do something different. So, um, oh my yeah. God. So my neighbor, who was a cattle guy, he came over, and he's like, of course, he's an old-fashioned dude. He was like, uh, first of all, your pigs should not be on pasture. It's like, well, well, that's a whole different debate. I said, but imagine they're cows. How would you, how would you uh, herd them up? And he's like, oh, here's what you do. So he, he spent an afternoon with me, and we built that corral, and it's worked great for years now. Oh, man. Yeah, last winter it was starting snowing. The ground was already frozen on loading day. Mm. And we were worried about getting that trailer down that switchback steep driveway. And last minute like my like my mother was over her husband was over and it was me and my partner and we were like sloshing through the mud on frozen ground trying to get these things in the and i was just like this isn't gonna happen i'm gonna have to call the butcher we're gonna have to have them over winter they're gonna be 500 pounds <laughs> and then randomly my mom's like wait my 
My dad did say that you can always drop a five-gallon bucket over a pig's head and back him up wherever you want to go. Yeah. And before she even finished her sentence, my partner Jay just jumped the fence, grabbed a five-gallon bucket, threw it over a pig's head, grabbed his tail, and just, with all of his might, just threw him onto the trailer. And we all looked at each other like, let's get after it. So <laughs> we got him on, but it was, oh, that was a mess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can... I can remember the the stressful elements. Oh, well, I still uh, get stressed out on loading day just because of the experience. But it, it you know, yeah, normally I find that loading day takes ten minutes now. But I still am just so worked up the night before because it's you know, you're playing the what PTSD. if PTSD. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the what if? What, what's going to happen? What if? Yeah, you know, what if this falls over? What if this corral wall breaks? Yeah, mm-hmm. stupid stuff. But yeah, so that's, yeah, I got to get that set up better. I would. I was. I've also been figuring out like, okay. It, I used to have a guy that would come over and load it, but his trailer's too big. He doesn't feel comfortable driving it up a driveway. Mm. So I'm like, okay, who, like, what amount of money can I justify paying just somebody just to come do this for me? Because when they can even come over in the summer, help me set up whatever they think's best for a loading, mm-hmm. I can get it done, use their expertise, and I'll just pay them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you have your own livestock trailer now? Or are you borrowing one? Yeah, we've got a little one I share with my mom. It's like a little two horse trailer, mm-hmm. and it's got a little ramp on it. But I swear, some people say that pigs do better running up ramps, and some, I think I don't know if it's the ears of the ones that I've had or if I've just had weird pigs, but they seem to hate the ramp because I don't know if their ears drops their low their eyesight down too far where they if they can't see what's on beyond that ramp, they're not about going in there yeah so they'd rather step up into a trailer than walk up a ramp i've noticed interesting yeah the the thing that i that i learned that my neighbor taught me was small space to large space so that's why we built the choke down that uh yeah if you got four or five pigs in our little what i call the triangle or the head gate they're all kind of crammed in there and like this isn't this isn't comfortable and as long as i've got their heads pointed toward that ramp they look yep. in that trailer and say, oh, that trailer's big and spacious. That's a bigger space, and I'm stressed out a little bit being in here with everybody else. So, yep. so yeah, we, we go from a larger corral down to a gated area, then to this this head gate, which, like I said, is triangular shaped simply because we, we have to make a 90-degree turn with them because I run out of land. Yep. Uh, so that's how we, we get them in there, and they seem to be very eager. Once I got their head pointed, I just take a, a little stick, and I just tap them on the rear end, and if their head's pointed in that direction, then they they seem to just blast right up that gate and, oh, and awesome. jump into the trailer. Of course, the feed bowl in there doesn't hurt either. So, yep. so okay, uh, interesting. So there's it sounds like there's a lot of similarities we have. Uh, topography definitely is a it plays a part in you know, your season and even how you manage your livestock. Mm-hmm. Um, so with with that, um, I assume having your partner who's a master brewer, do you get, uh, when it comes to feed, do you get some benefit of the, the brewery there with some spent grain, or what do you feed now? We did for a while, and it became so, at the time, we had a few pigs, and we were they were, like, producing so much that they... Right that I couldn't really keep up. But honestly, like I should probably just be spreading it somewhere. But I think um, for a while, it, one brewer that he worked with before that was like, oh, if you're just going to be throwing this in the woods, I'd rather give it to this other farmer that's feeding it to their animals. So they had, <laughs> they right. wanted it to make sure that it was, yeah. So we were taking it for a really long time. And then um, when I had to pause for a little bit, they found, an, I think it was like an, either a deer farmer or an elk farm random elk farmer that's taken it from them now um but when they scale up again i'll probably start taking more again for sure yeah yeah excellent 
Yeah, that's a great resource. So, uh, what what are you um, what are you using instead in lieu of that? Yeah. So, their you mean their feed? Yeah. 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 So right now, um, when I only have a few, it's I've noticed the cost analysis is cheaper for me to drive down to my local agricultural feed store and buy pooling grain. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I cut that with twenty percent corn, depending on how the the pasture forage is at the moment. But um, meaning that I don't feel as good cutting it with corn if I don't have a good pasture forage because I feel like corn is just a cheap filler. Um, and then otherwise, I would drive up to Augusta, which is our closest like spot where you can just get green dumped in the back of your truck. But that's like an hour and a half drive. Mm, yeah. So I had to do some cost analysis. It's a lot cheaper. So I think up there at the time it was like, oh, I figured it out to be like $100 for 600 pounds mm. of grain. And I don't think it was quite as good quality as the pooling. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, mostly grain. Um, I haven't made the switch to non GMO yet. I don't see the cost benefit knowing that they're on pasture and getting a lot of nutrients from that. I feel comfortable just still sticking with the, the generic. Yeah. Yeah. We're still using conventional feed at this time, too. Same, same reason cost analysis. Um, yeah. And, and the, the fact that the pasture is supplementing more. Exactly. Okay. So looking uh, looking ahead, Rachel, what you've talked about maybe having to farrow next year will be a a, mm. a, a forced goal to achieve. But what <laughs> what else? Uh, what's your short term goals coming forward here with the farm? Short term, um, definitely getting the pig uh, pasture. This the, the big silvo pasture is probably my number one goal. When that's finally done, it would just for me it's going to feel nice being able to just scoot pigs through the through the woods all the way over to when they can get loaded and then chase different groups through so that we've got pastures, you know, resting and do, I don't know the number of pigs that I can raise on here without disturbing too much. That'll be fun to learn. Um, and then when we get that kind of maxed out, hopefully, you know, I can supplement with other endeavors. I think we've got, well, we got some sheep and some katahdins that we're, um, now raising for meat. And I've got, chickens ducks turkeys and quail and then i want to do a lot of like events and stuff and do some teaching and um encouraging there's a lot of um portland folk interested in and in getting back to the land and learn more about processing animals and stuff so yeah and i think there's a major uptick in that right now due to our global event that uh, oh my god yeah, yeah absolutely but now they're afraid to come out because they're like well i don't know how close i'm gonna be to you so i'm like oh <laughs> so i gotta get like some more tables up so we can set different duck processing stations and such um so that we can social distance process ducks yes there you go yeah yeah they definitely have to uh to walk that walk right now but uh, i i think mm-hmm. I think there's definitely an uptick in in people interested in, in at least knowing where their food comes, sourcing it to some degree, or at least uh, sourcing it from a more reliable local source. You know, the mm-hmm. the scarcity at Walmart has uh, woken a lot of people up, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next year or so. Yes. Well, you admit- I even have a a vegetarian. Her boyfriend's not a vegetarian, so he's coming up to process the duck, but she's intrigued enough to actually come help. So. Oh wow! Interesting. <laughs> That'll be interesting. It will be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to talk real quick about your processing or your sales. So I was looking on your website. So you sell holes and halves, but you also mm-hmm. sell individual cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, in So kind of talk about that a little bit, how that the ratio, how that breaks out, what you're seeing more interest in. 
so I I've always been pushing my house and house and then I randomly was like oh but if I can get you know I'm kind of pushing against that fair market price for Portland price so um if I can get that amount of money for all these cuts well then maybe it makes more sense for me to still do the cut and so I would have a few done up just for you know us and then I'd have you know cuts on the side so I use um so I have to use a USDA inspected we don't have a butcher around here who's just state inspected oddly but Mm. anyway um so you have to use a USDA guy for that I found that I don't think it actually depending on how much of the cuts I'm doing and how I'm selling them it's actually more annoying (laughs) to, to fulfill these orders and to drive them or meet somebody to do just this and this um so the the effort and the marketing and everything put into pushing cuts has been, I think, more of an expense than I anticipated. So I think I'm going to continue pushing halves and holes. And I'm usually sold out, so I request deposits before I even buy the piglets. Mm, yeah. so I have the piglets spoken for before I fork over the money. That's uh, I have deposits, and I I've, I've usually sell out by the time the piglets get to the farm. Very good. Yeah, I, I think that's... You've, you've touched up the things, conversations that, uh, that my wife and I were just having this week about the very same thing. When you look at you know, right now our, our holes and halves, I usually try to do 50-50, sell 50% of our hogs holes and halves and the rest do as cuts mm-hmm. and uh, kind of value add throughout the year. But uh, doing these cost assessments, you know, when you when you do individual cuts, that processing cost now falls on you know my shoulders, whereas mm-hmm. where I'm selling holes and halves, the processing cost falls on the, the customer's shoulder. So that the inventory the individual sales you know we do a delivery schedule through our kind of make our loop through town um so there's all this additional expense associated with now granted you're getting a lot more i'm selling 350 450 a pound for whole and half but mm-hmm. yeah when you can sell you know eight dollar nine dollar bacon and other things it, it it starts to work out but looking at the cost and the cost of time it, it almost becomes yep. a wash and so you think and well, then figuring out what cuts sell better than others and if you should just get that ground anyway because yeah. it's easier to sell sometimes it's easier to sell a ground ham than it is to sell you know that equivalent amount of ham steaks yeah i've noticed yeah exactly so. and, and it comes back to communicating with your customer base i agree because as we as we add new customers or, or people are just becoming familiar with Red Toolhouse, they're like, oh, wow, great. Man, I'd love to have, um, I want a ton of uh, boneless pork chops. It's like, wow, yeah, I usually sell 10% boneless, and now I've got a guy that wants to get you know, what would be the equivalent of maybe 20 or 30%. It's like, do I, do I make that processing adjustment next time to have more of that inventory? And, and all that becomes a bit of a gamble if somebody says, oh, I don't Yeah, know. and you're losing a little bit of weight on it too, right? So you're going to yeah. be selling it for less. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's there's definitely that give, or, or the one guy that comes in and says, I want I want a whole pork belly intact because I want to process it on my own and do my own smoking. Yep. It's like, well, I don't have one of those laying around. So. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, but can sense. I sell you a half of a pig? Exactly. And you can then get that <laughs> Go nuts, exactly. Do what you want. Yep. If you're, gonna, if you're intrigued enough to process your own belly, then look at all these other cuts you can process on Exactly. Your own. Yeah, keep that smoker rolling. <laughs> Yep. Well, we talked about your short-term goals, and I'm kind of hopping Mm. around here a little bit, but what about long-term goals? Where do you see yourself five, ten years down the road? 
Oh, five years. So we're going to put up our own house on this property. So when my father finally decides that he's done traveling for work, because I'm sure that's going to get annoying soon, um, we can kind of both coexist on the land. He has been rejuvenated in, um, in the land, seeing what we've been doing with it. So I anticipate he'll be coming back, but he's good for um, doing a lot of construction and such. So um, so I anticipate probably just hopefully not working a nine to five anymore. Um, maybe working a little bit for a supplement, but hopefully just being on farm, focusing on as much as I can and just value adding or doing classes or whatever, just to, to make that money roll in, um, you know, at least 10 months, maybe nine months out of the year. Yeah. Hopefully. Excellent. So is your is your partner as engaged with the farming? I mean, does he does he see the same goal, or do you think he's going to be a full time brewmaster? I think he's always going to be brewing. I yeah. think he's very interested in supporting the farm, but I think um, it's going to be primarily um, driven by by me. I would love to have the capabilities of having staff soon. That would be amazing. We have we still have that RV from when we lived down the street, so I thought it would be really cool to finish fixing that up, you know, put the true compost and toilet in it and such. We already have a little wood stove in there that's made for RVs and boats and have somebody maybe even do like a work for stay um, and stay in that on the property. Cause it's, it's beautiful up here. And I think that would, that somebody might be interested in that. So. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I think uh, exploring these opportunities to, to value add or diversify income streams, revenue potential on the farm is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And again, with the digital age, as you see, as, um, as you see a lot, you know, people are, are monetizing online instruction, you know, the YouTube opportunities, those things, there's, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of different ways to help supplement the income of the farm and keep all those proverbial eggs from being in the same basket. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like I already, um, jumped into the fancy, I am Samani chicken breed, just like the all black chicken because there were people so interested in random breeds. So I got a little tiny coop with just a few of them in it. So I can sell their fertile eggs, which is a weird thing. I almost like feel like it's, um, you know, a, a random niche, you know, niche thing to do, but, um, I can always put those guys back in with the regular gen pop, I call it of the coop and, and just, you know, go back to selling their eggs normal. It was a, it was a little investment and I've already kind of made it back on them. So yeah, great. Awesome. Good little deal. things. Yep. Yep. All that adds up for sure. Well, in, uh, in, in typical fashion with interviews, I'll close out with, uh, with the, the quintessential question here, existential, maybe even what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Um, I think it's definitely just, being out there in the woods with the pig um, and then hearing about people's connection to the meat and then coming to see it in person. Yesterday we were cleaning up um, and doing a work exchange out there and there was um, a young girl who's, she's not even three years old and she could walk right up to our 400 pound sow and just scratch it on the nose um, (laughs) with me being right beside her just in case of course. But um, I just found that to be just, it blew my mind. So, (laughs) so I think, yeah, just being out there with the pigs and knowing that I'm doing everything I can to regenerate the land using our community and helping our community at the same time. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Good answer. Love that. Well, Rachel, if people want to find out more about your farm operation, where can they find you online? 
I think I'm probably uh, most active on Instagram at Fervor Farm. There is a website, and I do hope to update it more, but it's really mostly just for selling stuff to our local area. Um, and it's Facebook, but realistically, Facebook hasn't been a great platform for me. So I guess Instagram is what I would say. Yeah, okay, great. Well, I'll uh, list the links to that in our in our uh, show notes so people can check that out. Sweet. And if any farmers are out there and want to give me advice, I'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, that's what I like about uh, you know, the, the, that what's the benefit of social media is the network allows uh, people to ask questions back and yeah, forth. Yeah, so I've, I've followed many people that were on your show just to, to ask them some questions and follow up on some things if, if, they, if they seemed like they'd be interested in that. And um, yeah, so I've made a lot of connections just from Pasture Pig Podcast. So I appreciate it. Thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Well, great. That, that's, that's, that's great. That's the, the purpose of putting it together is to get everybody talking. So. All right. Well, I uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, I pray you have a good season as things move forward. Awesome. Thanks a bunch, Troy. You too. All right. Take care. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, Rachel coming on the uh, on the podcast and, and spending some time to talk with me there. Uh, check out her uh, website and her Instagram. Uh, I'll link down below in the um, show notes so you can check those out. Uh, again, if anybody would like to be on the podcast or know of a topic we should cover, uh, feel free to send me a message. You can go to redtoolhouse.com, click on the Pastured Pig Podcast link, and there's a way that you can contact me there or just send me an email, troy at uh, redtoolhouse.com, and we'll get you scheduled and, and uh, hopefully try to have some more exciting topics moving forward. Well, I pray everyone has a great week out in the pasture. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.